0: second all right I'm ready to yep hello there I'm hope oh my god thats a short one okay one take Hello there. I'm um, Ah It's because this bottle is laying here. It's my tick. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're doing well, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me again today. We're in the middle of a very important series of messages called, I'm Loving It. I am Loving It. Learning to read, learning to study, and learning to love the Word of God, to love the Bible. And, uh, moon river, again final start one, one more time hello there i hope you're doing well wherever you are thanks for joining me again for this special time of god's word and we are in a very special Again. Hello there, I'm very happy that you're joining me today for this very special... One more time. Hello there, I hope you're doing well wherever you are. And thanks for joining me again for this special time in God's Word. We're in the middle of a very interesting, but more important... Okay, there's something else up here. It's my tick. Man, that's coke everywhere and stuff. It's crazy, they didn't clean last time. Right? Well, hello there. I'm very happy that you. Again? Hello there. Thanks for. What's going on? Dang it. Let me breathe. Well, hello there. I hope you're doing well wherever you are, wherever you're watching from. And thanks for joining me again for this very special time in God's Word. We're in the middle of a series, a very important series. We're calling it, I Am Loving It. And it's all about God's Word. It's all about the Bible, learning to read, learning to study, and learning to love your Bible, actually getting joy and enjoying to read and study God's Word. Before we get started, let's uh, start with prayer. Let's start talking with our Heavenly Father. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, we're so thankful for your holy written Word, for the Bible. Please teach us today through your Spirit Open the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding, enlighten our hearts, and let us gain knowledge and revelation in your word, in the name of Jesus, and all that he has done for us. And we thank you for everything, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. So far in this series, we talked about the awesome possible—I got to start again. This is ridiculous. Give me one one second. All right. <sighs> okay. Well, hello there. I hope you're doing well wherever you are, and thank you for joining me for this special time in God's Word. We're in the middle of a series, a very important series, I believe, called I Am Loving It. We're talking about learning to read, learning to study, and learning to love the Bible. Actually, loving and enjoying reading and studying God's Word. This is very important, and I'm very excited about it. And this is already part five of this series. Now, if you've missed any of the messages, please go to our website at oasechurch.tv, and you actually find an English section where all the English messages are archived on our website, and you can listen and watch to all of them and catch up with everything we've talked about so far. So far in this series, we've talked about the awesome possibility of Bible study. We talked about the potential it has to study the Word of God, which hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people did not have that privilege when the Bible was only in Latin or actually in Hebrew and Greek and People were not able to read it, but then Luther or Wycliffe came along to translate the Bible into English or German and other languages, and people were able to read the Bible for the first time in their own native language. Well, now we have the Bible on our smartphone, on our tablet, on our laptop, on our computer. We have it also, thank God, still in paper. We have it in all kinds of different translations, dozens of translations in English, dozens of translations in all other kinds of languages. So we have this great privilege of reading the Bible simply and easily every single day, every moment of our lives, and yet we live in a time and age where people are biblically Illiterate. They do not know what the Bible says and they do not really listen to God's Word on a large scale, and we want to change that. There's an incredible possibility, an incredible potential, which also leads to an incredible power that comes from reading and studying the Word of God. Now, to get the most out of the Word of God from the Bible, we said we have to, number one, have the right heart. We have to have a new heart. We must be born again, Jesus said. We must believe in God. We must be children of God, sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. Otherwise, we will not understand really what it is saying because people are blind, people are dead. But Christ made us to see, and Christ. Made us alive. That's the good news of the gospel. So we must have a new heart. We also must have a hungry heart. See, it's it's possible to have a new heart and yet not be hungry anymore. Not love God or love His Word like we used to. Like Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He said, You're doing great works. You're doing good things. But there's one thing that disturbs me. You have lost your first love. Turn around. Repent. That's what repenting means, to turn around. Come back to me. Love me like you used to. And uh, that's what Jesus really wants from us. That's what God wants from us, to love him with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our being, all of our strength. That's really the commandment that we have been given, to love God. And it means to love God and to love His Word. So I want to love the Word and I want to love the God of the Word. So we have to have a new heart, we have to have a hungry heart, and also we have to have an obedient heart, meaning that we are willing and ready to apply The Word of God. So that's what we said. And then we talked about the right method. And there's many methods, but it's important to have the right method. If you don't like the word method, find another word. It's okay. Maybe the right approach, if you like that better. Uh, But we do need a way to study the Bible. It's important what we hear. It's important how we hear and it's important what we do with what we hear. Jesus said in Luke 8:18, 8, "Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. Consider how you listen." Now, consider how you read, consider how you study. It's very important that we have the right approach so we can retain what we hear, we can retain what we listen, that the Word of God not only comes in our brain for a short time, but it goes deep into our hearts, so we become hearers, not only hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Uh, otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves. James 122, be Doers of the Word, not hearers only. Otherwise, you don't deceive your pastor, you deceive yourself. So, how you listen. And then Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. I find that interesting because how can that be Christian if you give someone who has already a lot even more and you take away from someone who already has hardly anything and give it to the one who already has so much. Well, number one, how can something be unchristian? What, uh, Jesus Christ himself proclaimed. Number two, whether you like it or not, it is a law. It's called the law of use. If you look, use your muscles they will grow if you don't use them you will lose uh, muscle and if you use your brain you get smarter you get wiser but if you don't use your brain you get also weaker in your thinking so what you use becomes more when you use your talents they get better they get stronger if you don't use your talents you let them sleep They will die out and you'll lose it all together. So the same thing applies to the Word of God. The more we study it, the more we read it in the right manner, the more we will grow to love it, the more we will grow to enjoy it, the more it will bear fruit in our life, and the more fruit, the more fruit, the more fruit. It just keeps on growing and growing and growing. I noticed this in my life. I used to like uh, you know read one chapter and be just completely overwhelmed. Now I like to read entire books of the Bible sometimes in one setting, and it just fills me with joy. See, my capacity, my hunger has grown, and it's the same with you. It's the same with everybody. Whatever we use grows. Whatever we 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 put to use, it will become greater and better and more it's awesome it's the same with the bible so let's learn to love it let's learn to read and study and enjoy it because god's word has the power to change lives and it will fill you like nothing else can it will it will quench your thirst and fill your hunger like nothing else ever will because all else fails but god's word fills let's say that again all else fails, but God's Word fills. I just came up with that. I don't know if it's good. It's not poetry for sure. But if all else, all else fails, but God's Word fills. God's Word is like a tree, we said. You know, Luther said that he likes to study the Word like shaking a tree. Well, let's say the Word of God is a tree. Well, the whole Bible, the whole Word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament with 39, and the New Testament with 27, it's like a big tree. Now, but we want to climb that tree. We want to climb, and we want to shake every limb, which is like studying books, studying one book at a time of the 66 books in the Bible. Then we want to climb even further to the branches. There's a... 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and we can shake them. Then we have also twigs, paragraphs or verses in the Bible, and we shake them. And then we can turn over every leaf, every word. Now, you say that will take forever. Yes, because this is a forever book but you'll be busy all of your life and then some into all eternity getting to know God and His Word forever. Reading and studying is great joy, and it produces increasing love for God's Word and for God Himself. My goal is very simple. Loving the Word of God and loving the God of the Word. Loving the Word of God and loving the God of the word. My goal for me, for you, and for many that we will yet to ignite and set on fire. See, the Bible is different than any other book because it's about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, Yahweh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ, is offering us a relationship with Himself. So the book is not just, the Bible is not just pages where you have black letters written on it. It is a book, it is a love letter, so to speak, for you and for me. It's offering us a relationship with God Himself. Last time we were together, we spoke about how you can study the first occurrence of a word in the Bible. We did that with the word love, and we came to realize that in Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, Abraham, it was a test. God didn't really want his son as an offering or a sacrifice. It was a test. He said, Abraham, go to this mountain I will show you and sacrifice your only son, the one whom you love and offer him. But number one, it's not his only son, but that's not what, really what that means. He had other sons. He had Ismail, for example, and then later on in life, others. But that means one of a kind. And that's the first occurrence of the word love. And it sets the stage for the entire Bible and uh, reaching its pinnacle in what Jesus said in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, Jesus is not the only Son of God. Through faith in Him, we become children of God. We become sons and daughters. In John 1.12, it says, all who believe in His name and receive Him, to them He gave the privilege of being able to be called sons and daughters, children of God. But the first occurrence of love gives us uh, the clue of what God is trying to tell us through the entire book in this love letter where he uh, culminates the whole message in his son Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us with his love, with his arms stretched wide open saying, I love you. This is how much I love. Love you. So the Bible is not a dry history book, though it is a history book. It is true; every word is true. It is history; it it is historically verified. The resurrection of Christ was a historical event that is far more secure and proven than anything else in history uh, that you can think about. It is the truth. He was crucified. He was put into a tomb, and he came out of that tomb. After being dead, as dead as anybody can be, he walked out of that grave alive and well, conquering death, hell, and the grave. So it's about a person, but it's also about principles or truth. See, truth is a person person. And truth is also principles. Jesus is the living word, and he gave us the written word. So it's about a person and a relationship, and it's about principles that give us wisdom, that give us knowledge, that give us insight, and that help us to get to know God better and to understand the world we're living in, our purpose, our calling. Everything we need to know, everything we need to have for life that pleases our heavenly Father. So don't forget this. The Word of God is living. It is not a dead history book. It is alive. It is living. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It says that in Hebrews 4.12. It's got the power to change and transform people's lives because it is not just a book, it is a person. It's getting to know the author, not just a book that you grab from the shelf. Now, when my wife and I both went to Bible college, um, I uh, wanted to show you this a couple weeks ago. This is my, my beautiful Bible from Bible college days. And, and I, I read it up and down, I wore it out. You know, you don't have to wear it out quite that bad, but you know, using your Bible is what it's all about. It doesn't have to be in the museum to look good, it has to go into your heart and into your mind and change you. And this is Christy's Bible. It, it, looks, it looks better than mine for sure. It's white, mine is black. This is pretty cool. She was 17, uh, actually, in 12th grade. She did high school, she only had a few hours to finish it up. She did hair school and Bible college at the same time in her 12th grade of high school year. And I was already in my second year as she did that, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But I wanted to show you that a Bible, and now I have different Bibles. I've got this one, it's my English Bible. I've got several German Bibles. I write in them, I, I underscore, I mark, I repeatedly read, I memorize some scriptures. And so the Bible is like no other book. No other book is carried like that. No other book is underscored like that. No other book is marked or written in like that. No other book is repeatedly read or memorized like that. See, when you're done with your school books, you put them aside. I I bet you haven't opened your high school books since high school. And maybe not even your, your college or university books since university or college. You put those books aside. And I'm willing to, to bet that <laughs> if we had a test today on some subject that we had in high school, let's say a, a biology test or, I don't know, a history test or whatever test, we may not even be able to pass it. Because, not because we're stupid, but because you know the information has gone into our mind and left our mind uh, just as quickly. Uh, so the key to Bible study is, and that's the method, the right heart we have to have and the right method is not just to, to pass a test next week in school, but to retain it for life. And so the Bible is entirely different. I always have a Bible with me somewhere, either in my car or at home lying around or in my office. The Bible is everywhere. And if, even if I want to, um, you know, if I have no, no physical Bible with me, sometimes I read my Bible on my smartphone. I, I read the Psalms or the Proverbs, some, usually something short or some verses I read on my phone. But when I really study, I take my physical Bible, my paper Bible, with a highlighter, with a pen and paper, and I go after it. It's, it does nothing like it. It's the bestseller of all times by a long shot with no rivals. It is incredible that uh, I read recently, uh, it was a couple of years. I read that that that, uh, at, at that year. This was maybe ten years ago. 35,000 35, Bibles were sold sell- sold in one day in America, in the United States of America. Thirty-five thousand Bibles in one day. That's a lot of Bibles. So you can tell I love the Bible. You can tell I love studying. Hopefully, you can tell I like sharing God's Word. Hopefully, you can feel my excitement about the bible i really really love god's word it's done so much in and through my life and in my family's life and uh, i would not change that for anything and i i read the bible more today than ever and i've been reading it now since i was a 12 or 13 year old boy so almost 36 years but i've never read it or studied as much today and i can honestly say that I've never had so much love for the word and I've never had so much joy and enjoyment I gain from it than these days uh, that we live in. And we live in in some days, you know that, right? We live in crazy times. And I think in these crazy times, you also, also have to have some crazy habits of Bible study and prayer. This is very, very important. Now, let me read you a passage of Scripture. Let's read it together. I invite you. You can follow me on the screen. Uh, from Nehemiah chapter eight. Now this is in the mid uh, 400s, around 450 or so, give or take a few years, uh, before Christ. Now, uh, around 600 before Christ, 65, 606, um, the first Jewish people were carried away into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the, the king of of Babylon, and God had. Uh, prophesied that through many of the prophets, Jeremiah being one of them and, and many others. And, and the, the Israelites just wouldn't listen. They, they, were, they, they were warned and warned and warned and, and God said, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Well, it happened and uh, they were carried away and God let it happen. It was not that, that the, the pagan king had the power to do that. No, 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 no. God allowed it. Actually, God Orchestrated it, and they were carried away into Babylon. You've heard about Daniel. You've heard about Ezekiel. You heard about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and many other young people were carried away in several steps, in several waves, like 605, 597 uh, before Christ, 586 before Christ. I believe they were carried away, and then uh, at the at the final. Um, attack on Jerusalem, it was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The, the walls were destroyed. And it was just, it was a big, big mess. And um, Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. Ezekiel prophesied in Babylon. And uh, the, the concept of the synagogue developed in captivity because there was no temple. And the men in the houses and heard uh, the word of God. And then um around 539 or so before christ so uh, the 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 persian empire and the Med empire came to power and and kairos told the people they were allowed to go back whoever wants to go back not everybody wanted to go back they were getting used to babylon but a lot of people went back and and then ezra came and nehemiah came back and they built the temple and they rebuilt the walls and then they were all there at this place uh, called the Watergate. Let's read this. Nehemiah 8, all the people came together as one in the square before the Watergate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, the, the book of the law is the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, notice, they didn't all have a Bible. It was uh, something that was read to them by the scribe, Ezra, in this case. And it's a tremendous event. It's an awesome moment in the history of Israel. The temple had been rebuilt. The, water, the, the walls had been rebuilt. And here they are, back home. And the law of Moses is written to them. Verse 2, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Wow, number one, children were there. Women were there. Men were there. Now, let the children come. I love the preacher, Charles Stanley. He said that that one time a woman in her 50s wrote to him, um, and she wrote in that letter that she came to faith through him and she heard him for the first time when she was four years old. A grandmother or somebody brought her to church and she was four years old, sitting in big church, listening to Charles Stanley. And she said, I heard it back then. And I remember as a young girl receiving the word of God. And what stuck with me was that there was truth. And, th- and it changed me as a four or five year old young girl. I tell my church all the time that if the kids want to come into the big room, the kids want to come into the big church, let them come. Never underestimate the power of the Word of God and what it can do when even a little boy or girl listen to it. Even when they don't seem to understand, things will stick with them and they will recall it at a later time and age in their life. So, uh, and then it said, it, he read it aloud from daybreak meaning from the very early morning hours till noon. I think we'd lose a lot of people right there nowadays. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, shema Anaya, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah and on his left were Pedayah, Michael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Not good ideas for names for your kids. Anyway, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, the people all stood up. They stood for the reading of the word. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord and, the, and with their faces to the ground. So they, they read the Word. They studied God, God's Word. They, they, they worshipped God. They praised Him. Verse 7, the Levites. Yeshua, Bani, Sherabiah, Yamin, Ak, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maziah, Kelita, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, and Pelaya. There you go. Instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being said or being read. Then Nehemiah the governor. Ezra the priest. See, Nehemiah had built the walls and became the governor. Ezra rebuilt the temple and was the priest and teacher of the law. And the Levites who were instructing the people said to them to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They were weeping. It was not like today where you can find the Bible anywhere and everywhere at any time. They were so grateful and thankful, and also sad because they had not had the word of God, but now they had it. And in verse, for all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, returning to the Lord, and returning to His Word produces great joy in their lives. Now, this last week, I did a mini-study. I didn't do an in-depth study. A, a mini-study of all the different names and titles for Jesus used in the Bible. There are some 200 of them, around 200 uh, names and titles that, that describe Jesus, His nature, His position, His work, His ministry, He's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Light of the World, Prince of Peace, Bread of Life, Word of Life, Alpha and Omega, Emmanuel, I Am. He's called the Truth. He's called the Way. He's called the Life. He's called the Lamb of God, the Bridegroom, the Good Shepherd, and on and on and on. 200 names and titles for our Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you this just so you can see what you can study these days. And you don't even need a concordance anymore. Uh, Like I had in Bible school, big, fat concordance with over 6,000 different English words in it. You can punch it into the computer, into a search, um, you know, into a Bible search, a word search. Do a word search on bibleserver.com and you find every word that, that, you know, that comes in the Bible. Let's say grace or mercy or love or whatever. But also you can do different names and titles. You can do biography studies, the, the, the life of Joseph or David or Esther. It's so rich and it's so powerful. And you should always ask three questions when you read a text, and we'll do that today. I'll show you how to do that today. And uh, it is incredible. Number one, what do I see? When you, today we're gonna look at a paragraph. And when we read that paragraph, number one, or a chapter, whatever you're studying, What do I see? I call this observation. Number two, what does it mean? Let's call this interpretation. And by the way, interpretation has to be done in context, which we'll talk about next week. What am I doing with it? Application. So we have observation, what do I see with my eyes? We have interpretation, what does it mean? And number three, we have application, what am I doing with it? Now, if I'm not doing or try to do what what I'm reading, I'm missing the entire point. Now let's look at this paragraph. Let's look at Acts chapter four, and let's break it apart. And then let's ask ourselves these questions. What do we see? What does it mean? And what do we do with it? Acts chapter four, 23 through 31, and it starts like this. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Let's stop here for one moment because I have to give you some context. Now, Acts chapter 1, Jesus was still here, and he said, you know, uh, I will go and I will send you the Spirit, but, but I do it so you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Actually, that actually happened. All the way through the book of Acts until Paul, the apostle, you know, came over to Europe and, and all over the place and preached the gospel. What Jesus had said actually came true. It's prophetic, and it's what we have to do today. We should start where we are, and we should participate in proclaiming the gospel in the entire world. And so after he said that about being witnesses, he was taken up into heaven. He, wa- he ascended into heaven. And angels appeared and said in the same way he went up, he's coming back. I'll be back, Jesus said. And in chapter 2, we see the Spirit of God coming down. The Holy Spirit It's the day of Pentecost. And uh, then they proclaimed the gospel in all kinds of different languages. That was one heck of a miracle. And uh, what we have at the Tower of of Babel in in Genesis 11, where the languages were confused, in chapter 2 of Acts, we have how people all of a sudden spoke languages that they didn't even understand or never learned, and people could understand them in their own language, the visitors. The church was born. In Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, they, be, they came to Christ and, and it says 3,000 men were saved, blessed their women, plus wa- uh, women, blessed children were saved, and they had fellowship, they broke the bread, they, they had the teaching of the apostles, and uh, they were together in one accord. And then in chapter 3, persecution set in. They were persecuted for preaching the gospel. They were um, actually taken captive. They were threatened. And they were told never ever to mention the name of Jesus again. They said, well, we cannot do that. We have to speak about Jesus. And whether it is right to uh, obey God or man, what's, what's better or more important, you decide. We know we have to obey God rather than men. And then they were released, were threatened again, and then they came to their own people. That's where we are. After being threatened for proclaiming the gospel and being taken captive and treated not very nicely, they were now back with their people. In verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and now he quotes Psalm chapter 2, which was prophetic 1,000 years before this happened. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Compare that with Psalm chapter 2, the first several verses. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly now nine verses one paragraph remember the bible a tree which is the whole bible the limbs is the chapters but then you have the 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 branches and the twigs which uh, is actually um, you know paragraphs and verses but there's one paragraph that is so rich now what do we see? Well, we see a theme here and the theme is very clear. Jesus' followers proclaim and they pray. Jesus' followers pray. Now, what do you do when you get persecuted for your faith or people look nasty at you because you're not, you know, like them because you love Jesus more than any- anything else? Now, let me say this, make sure you're a light, make sure you're a good citizen. Don't give them any reason to uh, speak bad about Jesus or you, but they still will. They still will sometimes. And Jesus' followers don't whine. They worship. They don't, uh, you know, shoot back at people. They pray. They follow Jesus. Now, Daniel in chapter 6 of Daniel, even though he was forbidden to pray, he prayed. He went to the lion's den, but God was with him. And he is with us as we follow him, as we do what he wants, as we obey God rather than men. But Jesus' followers pray. That's the theme. Now, what can we see? What do we notice? There's a few things I notice, and it gives us a meaning of this text. Number one, it is a prayer with perspective. They know who they're speaking to. They are, they're speaking to the Almighty. They're not speaking to Joe Smith or Hugo Boss or some other man or, or woman. Or not, they're not speaking to Herod or 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 Pilate or Caesar. They're speaking to the Creator of the universe, the Almighty, the Creator, their Heavenly Father. Now Jesus, in the our father prayer, the first thing he taught the the disciples is our Father who art in heaven, who they're talking to. Knowing who you're talking to is so important. And here it says in verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You made the entire universe. See, the universe has no personality, neither does the earth or the sea. We don't worship the universe or the sea or the earth. We, we worship the creator of it all. It was a prayer with perspective. They knew who they were praying to. They knew him personally. Number two, it is a balanced prayer. Uh, this prayer has worship in it. It has praise in it. It has petition in it. It's not a wish list. Oh, God, please give me this or that because I'd like to have this or that. No. They were praying for the will of God. They were praying, thy kingdom come. They were praying things like, hey, uh, give us boldness. Help us to speak your word with boldness. You see their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. And let, let healings happen. Let signs be performed. And let wonders happen through the name of your holy servant Jesus. It was petition directed towards the kingdom of Heaven, not a personal wish list. Always consider, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto whatever you need. So there was a a perspective, uh, the right direction. It was directed to God Almighty, to the Heavenly Father. It was balanced with worship, with praise, with thanksgiving. Our prayers should always begin with these kind of things. Worship, praise, and thanksgiving. There was petition, and it was not egotistical. Maybe your prayer life is not good because, number one, maybe you don't pray at all or pray very little, or uh, your prayer life is about me, myself, and I, uh, yourself. Uh, Very egotistical, but make it about God. Make it about His kingdom. Make it about other people, and see your life and... and, uh, Purpose just, just totally change. What else do I notice? I notice it's a prayer with perspective, it's a balanced prayer, it's a specific prayer. Um, you know, they didn't say, Lord, bless all people. You know, quite honestly, that prayer does not work. Bless all people. Why doesn't it work? Well, it, then we could all say, Lord, bless all people, and the whole world will be blessed. That's not how it happens. God wants us to be specific when you pray for people. Have their name in front of them. Pray for them by name and not just very randomly or like that. Um, Lord, I want to pray for my son, my daughter, my, my grandchild. I want to pray for my, my mother, my father, my, my, my pastor. Make your prayer specifically. Pray for the country you live in that God would do a work. Pray for the politicians by name that God would touch their hearts but make it a specific prayer. And number four, I see, I notice it's an answered prayer. God answers these kind of prayers. It's an awesome answer. Um, he doesn't answer a wish list, like I said, but he, he says, it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly, exactly what they wanted. They continued to do, preaching, proclaiming, uh, promoting the gospel with boldness. Let us pray like that. Let us live like that. Let us do life like that. And I just showed you from one paragraph, from nine verses, what you see, what you see is it's, 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 the theme is prayer. What does it mean? We show, I, I showed you how it's how it's a, a prayer of perspective. It's a prayer of balance, balanced prayer. It's the specific prayer. It's an answer prayer, and what can I do with it? How can I pray like that? Make my prayers uh, center around Him and not me. Now, that's why we have the Our Father Who Art in Heaven prayer. Um, You know, I did a series on that prayer in my German congregation, Uh, and we talked about every segment of that prayer and how we we approach the Father, we praise him, we honor him, hallowed be your name, we praise you, we honor him, we want to be about your will and your kingdom, not selfishly, then we will petition for for what we need, not always what we want what we need, we pray for forgiveness as we forgive others, we pray that he would keep us from evil and from the temptation help us to conquer temptations and then glorify him again for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever so it's an awesome thing to pray in the right manner you have to have the right heart a new one a hungry one and an obedient one you must have some good methods of bible study uh, i just gave you one example you can do that with every paragraph last week i gave you how how you can do a word study or you can do uh, uh, one verse how you outline one verse i gave the example from john 3:16. We need the right heart and the right method. And we also need to pray and study together. I forgot who said it, but Bible study without prayer is like practical atheism. And prayer without Bible study is presumption. And I think that's very, very true. Prayer and Bible study have to go hand in hand. The right heart, the right method, and the right time. Let me ask you this, what is the right time? Well. For me, it's early in the morning. If I don't do it early in the morning, it, I get it gets lost in the day. I gotta get up early to read my Bible and to pray. If I don't, it's it's gone. Uh, one guy said to me one time, "Well, I I I do it first thing in the morning." I said, "When is that?" He said, "10 o'clock." I, I knew that moment he was a, you know, uh, a late <laughs> a late a late person going to bed late and getting up late, which is fine. Better in, at 10 in the morning than not at all. But do it. In the evening, in the morning, whatever fits your schedule. But what do you do when you have a doctor's appointment, a lawyer's appointment, or a dentist appointment? Well, you 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 log it in your calendar, on your on your smartphone or your tablet or on a, a paper calendar. Well, that's the way we have to get with God, and studying His Word and spending time in prayer with Him, and. I'll talk more about that next week as we continue and finish this series on I'm Loving It. But don't miss that, by the way, next week as we talk about context, how we t- as we talk about the right time, and just the loose threads we're going to finish up in the- this series. Well, I hope you could receive it today. Don't miss next week. In closing, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, good God, I thank you for every person watching Right now, and I pray that you'd give all of us a deep hunger, a deep thirst for your word. We want to return to our first love. Now, if if you've never come to know Jesus and never fallen in love with him for the first time, just tell him that you need him right now. Say, God, I need you. I need to be saved. Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you died on the cross and were buried, and I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe in you. I give you my life. I receive yours now. I want to be a Jesus follower now. See, in Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you did that right now, you are saved. You're born again. You have a new heart. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Well, I love you and I hope to see you next week. Huh? Okay.